I want to invite you that you would open your Bible with me uh, to the book of Genesis chapter 34. We're going to go back to Genesis. It's been a few weeks since we took a break from it, but today we're back at Genesis chapter 34. And since it's been a few weeks, I want to just remind you where we are as we look at the life of Jacob. This is the part where God calls Jacob back to the promised land, where Jacob has now been separated from his family for uh, over 20 years. And now he's reconciled to Esau, his brother, who he wronged, who he stole his birthright. But after he reconciles, as God calls him back into the promised land, he ends up settling in the wrong place, if you remember. He, he disobeys God. He, he compromises. And that's what we title the message on uh, this evening, tonight, the consequences of compromise. Just know that as we look at scripture tonight at God's word that there are certain consequences for compromise. That the disobedience destroys and that's what he finds out. As God calls him back to Bethel, what is Bethel? The house of God. God said, I want you to go back to Bethel now, the house of God, the place where God's presence dwells, the place of blessing. Go back there. But instead of going to Bethel, the house of God, the place of blessing, where the presence of God is, he goes to Shechem. And as he goes to Shechem there, he builds an altar. And we know here that what God is telling Jacob after striving, after scheming, after doubting, after working in his own strength, how about this, after failing. Every time we find ourselves in a place where we fail, where now we have made mistakes, God says, go back to where you started. Go back to where you need to be when it comes to spiritual priorities. And oftentimes God reminds us that I need you to go back to where you need to be when it comes to spiritual priorities. Do you remember the angel of the Lord that gave the message to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 where he says to remember Remember your first works, repent, and do those works. Remember from where you have fallen. Well, that's exactly the same message, essentially, that God is telling Jacob. Go back. Remember where you came from. Remember where you have fallen from. Repent. Go back. Turn from your ways, from your striving, from your scheming, from your own strength. And do the first works. Go back to Bethel. Now, as he was in Shechem, he had built that altar, and building an altar is good, but complete obedience, notice this, it's better. Yes, you can build an altar. Yes, you can serve the Lord. Yes, you can be involved in ministry, but God requires your obedience first. Before he looks at what you put on the altar, he's examining what you have in your heart. And you see here that there's an examination of the heart of Jacob because he has not surrendered his life fully to the Lord. He is still struggling with God. He, he's not submitting yet. God wants your obedience first and then your sacrifice. God wants your obedience first. Notice this. Remember this tonight. And then he wants your sacrifice. In fact, he will not accept your sacrifice if you have not offered him first your obedience. 
And what happens here in the life of Jacob is that him and his family suffer in this wasted, disobedient period of time, wasted time out of God's will. What is he learning? That sacrifice is never a substitute for obedience. In fact, there at in Shechem, we see very quickly that we always get in trouble when we are where we're not supposed to be. We always get in trouble when we're not doing what God wants us to do. When we start doing our own thing, being at the place where we want to be, following our emotions or our preferences, our recklessness, being impulsive. And maybe when God told him to go to Bethel, what did he think as a man that was stubborn and self-willed and prideful? Notice, maybe he got tired of Bethel. Maybe he said, I'm bored of Bethel already. I, I've been to Bethel already. I've done that. I'm beyond Bethel now. Be careful that you don't think you are beyond the place where God's put you. That you don't think that you are now advanced from the place of Bethel. No one ever has gone beyond Bethel. I want you to know that tonight. And maybe he thought that, I'm bored. I, I, there's more to see. There's more to learn, live now. I want to see what else is out there for me. I, I'm thinking that if I, if I leave and I go somewhere else, then I'm going to be happy because I'm not happy here right now. But know this, if you're not happy where you are, you will not be happy when you move. And sometimes we think that very thing. Well, I'm not happy here. When I move, then I'll be happy. But you know why that's a problem? You know why that's not true? Why you will not be happy when you move? Because you still have to take your discontented self with you. And if you have not learned to submit to God, no matter where you go, you will be unhappy. Because the place is not the problem. You know what the problem is? Your heart's the problem. Paul told the church in Philippi, I've learned, this is not something I know, I have learned through hard times, through submitting myself to God's will, I have learned to be content. We have to learn to be content where God has us. Because here there's a lack of discipline in this chapter, chapter 34 in Jacob's family. It's a red flag right here. God's name is not mentioned this entire chapter once, in any of these events, which indicates to us that Jacob is directly outside of God's will. He is not consulting God's wisdom. And I pray that before you make any move, you consult with the wisdom of God. That some of the things that happen here in chapter 34 would have never happened if they, he just obeyed. Have you ever been in a place where you would say, that would have never happened if I would have just listened? This would have never happened if he would just listen. This was an expensive detour while he was in the land. Why? Because he was not living up to his new name. What was his new name? From Jacob to Israel. From deceiver, from schemer to governed by God. God had given him a new identity and he was still living according to the old man. He had to learn to die to his old self and live that new life governed by God. Outwardly, maybe there's sacrifices on the altar, but inwardly, he's not fully surrendered. You know what this, this chapter reminds me of? Of the Christian who's backslidden. 
Maybe you're here right now and you find yourself in that place, backslidden, compromising, disobedient. I like what John Blanchard said. He said it this way. No Christian is ever going in the right direction when he has his back to God. No Christian, think about that, is ever going in the right direction when your back is toward God. You've turned your back on God. You're backsliding now. You're not moving towards God. You're not moving forward. You're not taking steps of faith or obedience. And you may say, well, it's hard going forward. Yes, it may be hard going forward, but it's worse going back. We have to learn to obey God. Now notice there, Genesis chapter 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, who she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman, and he spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hammer, saying, get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, and now his sons were with the livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they had come. Notice here the consequences of compromise begin with one thing, carelessness. And I want you to be now very careful that you don't start to walk this way. That you're not careless about where you go. That you're not careless about who you associate yourself with. That you don't ever let your guard down as a Christian. You know what carelessness begins? Carelessness begins in the life of a person when they lack accountability. The very thing that people don't like. People don't like being accountable. They, they like being private. Have you noticed that? We, we like our privacy. <laughs> we, we don't want people to know what we're doing, where we're going, who we're associating with. We, we think this is my life. And how many times have we said this? And this is none of your business. <laughs> but notice what Dinah here is doing. She's careless. She's curious. That's a problem when you lack accountability. Notice what happens. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which is a part of Jacob's family, when they have settled here in the wrong place, here in the city of Shechem, as it would say in verse 18 of chapter 33, who she unborn to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Dangerous situation. She was seeking companionship from other women. And that wasn't the problem. The problem is that she went to visit the woman of the land. She got in trouble for being surrounded by the wrong crowd. She exposed herself by being out there alone. And she was attracted to the woman of the land. She was allured as to how they lived. And this was a very unwise thing to do. Why? Because her father had his family living in the pagan land. That was a real issue. You know what the family should have been? He should have had his family at Bethel leading his family closer to the Lord. That was the problem as well. That there was no spiritual leadership in the home. So he had positioned his family in a place of danger. Instead of being at Bethel, leading the family closer to the Lord, he had surrounded them with worldly pagan people. 
You see, when we disobey, notice this, even in verse 1, not only do we put ourselves in danger or compromise, but also our family, also our loved ones are put at danger. Remember Abraham when he was in Egypt. What about Lot when he was in Sodom? Isaac when he was in Gerar? Samson when he was in the land of the Philistines? Peter in the high priest's courtyard, all in trouble for being at the wrong place. This was Jacob's poor choice of saying, I'm going to take my family out of God's will and go to where I want to be. And he now he opens them to an ungodly influence. Now, not only was Dinah not ready for the temptations of this world, notice she was flattered by them. You know what we have to do as men, spiritual leaders of our home? Even for the women that are raising up their children, that you would protect your family in this ungodless world. That we protect our children where we allow them to be. That we're involved. Because here comes the carelessness that leads to verse 2, the defilement. And look how careless this was, how maybe even innocent it became. And then it allured her with flattery because in verse 2 it says, And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite prince of the country, three things happened here. He saw her, he took her, and he violated her. Where did he begin here? By him seeing her. When he saw her, he lusted after her. And after he lusted after her, he took her. And after he took her, there the word describes that he violated her or he raped her. This was all done by a desire of the flesh. He violated or defiled her. He made her unclean. In fact, three times in this chapter, it describes this word defiled. Verse 5, verse 13, Verse 27, that when he saw, he defiled Dinah. One of the most shameful incidents in the history of the nation of Israel. But the response of her brothers are even worse than the crime that committed. Now, what do we see there in verse 2 that Shechem had a problem with? He had a problem with lust. He had a problem with self-control. He didn't know how to control his desires that's oftentimes why people get in trouble they do not know how to control their desires the appetites of the flesh we have to learn to control our appetites so that we don't allow ourselves to be led by feeling by desire by what we want by what our eyes see in james chapter 1 verse 14 notice what james tells the church but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires when you're drawn away by your own desires you're going to be tempted by that you're going to enter into temptation it says and they're enticed by your own desires then when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown it gives birth forth to death here dinah is surrounded by the wrong people and there you find shechem who lusted after her he took her and he raped her this is all because Jacob had his family in the wrong place. Now notice, as it continues here in verse 3, his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman, and he spoke kindly to the young woman. After he did this, after he committed this act, he, he not only, it, it would say that he lusted, but it says here that he had loved her. And we know this isn't true love. Why? Because it, it is rooted out of a carnal desire. 
It says that he loved her with all of his soul, but this wasn't love. We know directly this was lust. It was all after what he saw, her appearance. His soul was strongly attracted to her. He, he tried to win her over even after by affection or with tender words. It would say there in verse 3 now that, that he spoke to the young woman this way. In fact, as it describes it there in verse 3, he spoke to her heart. This is why it's so important that we guard our hearts. Because the enemy is going to try to allure us into the wrong places by speaking to what? The heart. You know what the worst advice that the world gives you? Just follow your heart. One of the worst things that you can hear. One of the worst things that you can follow. Why? Because our heart is, is desperately wicked. It's evil. And there in verse 4, it says, So Shechem spoke to his father after this hammer, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. He spoke to his father because back in that time, the fathers would arrange the marriage. And he goes up to his father and he says, Father, I need you to arrange this marriage now. Go to her father. Tell him that I love her, that I want to be with her, that I want to marry her. He was infatuated by his lust. He was overcome by lust, by appetite. By desire. You know what we should pray, Lord, today? Make our desires after the heart of God. That our desires would please the Lord. That our desires would be pure. That our desires would be holy. Lord, guard my heart, guard my mind, so that what I desire comes from the heart of God. And it happens, and Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were in the with the livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. What happens that Jacob hears what had happened to his daughter? And notice what it says in verse 5. He held his peace until they came. I don't think I would have been able to held my peace. I probably would have gone out and looking for that guy. <laughs> it said he did nothing. He said, I'm going to wait till my sons come from the field. No, notice not only the lack of spiritual leadership the cowardice here they he remains silent he's unwilling to confront sin he's unwilling to protect his home and it says that he does nothing notice when there's a lack of leadership in the home the response will always be reckless and you see the recklessness that happens in the lives of his son because there's no strong spiritual leadership there has to be a strong spiritual leadership or else the outcome is recklessness in the home. Now, notice what happens here because there we see a deception in verse 6. It's not only a now carelessness. It's not simply a defilement. But then there comes a deception, verse 6. Then Hamer, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. So his father goes out and the sons of Jacob came in from the field and they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry. Two things happened to the brothers of Dinah. They went out or in now from the field. They were grieved. They were angry. They were shocked that their sister had been raped. And notice what happens here. You see this even in the families that God chooses. Even in the families that God uses. That people make the wrong decisions. And it says that they were grieved, very angry, because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing 
which ought not to be done. Do you see that in verse 7? What is this? Something that should never be done. A sin. Compromise. Something that shouldn't be just now swept under the rug. Something that, that someone should not just look the other way. Something that shouldn't be allowed or tolerated. This is not okay. It's sad to see in the world, the culture that we live in, we begin and the world begins to accept the things that are not okay. You see here that they said this is something that should never be done. This is, should not be allowed. They have some type of convictions. But notice what happens there in, in, in verse 8. But Hammer spoke with them saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as wife. He's looking to arrange here marriage between his son and Dinah. Let, let's arrange this marriage between them two. But notice the offer that he makes. This is the same offer that the enemy wants to make with you. Especially after you've compromised in sin. Maybe there's, there's sin that you've compromised, you've backslidden, you've put yourself in a position you shouldn't be in, therefore there was compromise. Sometimes you're so surprised. Well, I, I didn't know we were going to fall into sin. Why are you so surprised if you exposed yourself that way? Why are you so surprised if you were doing something you shouldn't have been doing, you're at a place that you shouldn't have been? And you know what happens here in verse 8? What happens is that the enemy here, the world, tries to offer or negotiate with Jacob's family. And notice what he says there in verse 9. Not only let us make this marriage, but notice, let us make marriages with us. Give us your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. He was in the wrong place, so the world begins to make an offer. Let's arrange other marriages. You know what the first offer was? Accept a worldly society. You can write that down there in verse 8, a worldly society. What does that mean? That you should accept a worldly society. Now, accept this, which is intermarriage or mixed marriages between God's people and the people that were serving pagan gods. Let us accept other marriages too. We'll give you our daughters. You give us your daughters. You know what this is? Forbidden by God. <laughs> This is the principle of being unequally yoked with someone that's a non-believer that you learn later on in the New Testament. We remember what that means to be yoked. It's when two animals of the same kind were yoked under that same yoke so that they're effective together, walking in the same direction. What happens when you have two different animals yoked together? They go separate directions. And it doesn't work here. So what, what the Lord had specifically said in Genesis even 28, verse 1, then Isaac called Jacob, blessed him. Notice what Isaac told Jacob already and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. There should be a separation. You, you should not intermarry. There should not be mixed marriages. Later on, Deuteronomy 7, 3, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughters to your son. You know what the enemy wants to do? Now that there's been compromise, just go ahead and get married now. <laughs> now. That's not the solution. I want you to know that. You know what the solution is when sin has taken place? It's not just get married. That's not the easy, quick fix to everything. You know what's needed? Brokenness and repentance. 
When sin has been committed, what is needed, what is expected of us as Christians? Brokenness and repentance. But here he's offering a worldly society. Let's just intermarry now. And notice the second offer that comes this way in verse 10, a worldly security as well. If the enemy can't lure you into a worldly society, he wants to give you worldly security. And that's sometimes what we're looking for. I want worldly security. I want to know that I have a secure future. I want to know that I'm set. And notice there in verse 10, so you shall also dwell with us and the land shall be before you dwell and trade in it and acquire and possess. Notice what he says, let let us give you land. Why don't you settle and live in this land? That's what it means to dwell. Settle and live here. Get comfortable here, would you? Don't don't just live in tents. Get comfortable here. Have, Have security here. What is he offering him? Land. Worldly security. But then also worldly success. Because he says it there in verse 10. Acquire possessions for yourself in it. Trade and acquire. Let's do business. He's offering him worldly success. You know what the enemy's going to want to come and offer you when you're careless? Oftentimes when there's space for compromise in your life, he'll come and try to offer a worldly society, worldly security, or worldly success to get you out of God's will so that you're out of the will of God for your life. Satan attempts to pollute the royal line here that will lead to Jesus Christ here. By what? By now offering a mixed marriage. Well, we know this is against God's will, so notice what happens in verse 11. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, notice now he wants to appeal himself to Dinah's father, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I'll give. Listen, I don't care what it is. Whatever kind of dowry that you want me to give to you, I'll I'll pay it. Let me find favor in your eyes. He's so persistent to marry her after he's violated her, after he's defiled her. And he said, let me just make this right this way. That's not how you make things right. That that is not allowed. That's not pure. That doesn't honor God. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is this right in God's eyes? Not can I make this right. You can't make anything right. (laughs) Is this right in the eyes of God already? The only thing that we can make right is when we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to make things right with you. Lord, here I am. I put my situation in your hands. Verse 12, notice as he continues, ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give you according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as wife. I don't care what I have to pay. The dowry was the gift that they would offer the father Because the father there would lose a servant in the household, which was one of his daughters. And now since I'm losing some of the hands that work around the house, you're going to provide dowry to supplement for that since you're taking my daughter. That's what the purpose of dowry was, to compensate for taking the daughter who would invest in the work of the house. He said, I don't care what I have to pay. Let me pay it. But here comes the brothers, and they're so deceitful. They're upset. They're angry. But they're taking matters into their own hands. They're looking for personal vengeance. They have an agenda. I want you to know this. No matter how hurt you are, no matter how angry you are, 
taking vengeance, putting, taking matters into your own hands will not make you feel better. In fact, it'll make you feel worse. You think that because you're going to get vengeance by your own strength, by your own hands, in the presence of man, you're going to all of a sudden feel better or heal or, or, or now uh, find yourself approved. None of those things happen. You feel worse, in fact. You know what we to do when we're hurt by people? When people have wronged us, when we know there's, there's sin in the camp? Go to the Lord and say, Lord, I put that before you. You handle it now, God. Because they answer here deceitfully. They answer here with hypocrisy. They were upset there in verse 13. And notice, but the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamer, his father, and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. Now, do you see here that his sons are speaking, what is the word that says? Deceitfully. <laughs> like father, like son. Jacob's name means deceiver. What do they learn to do from their father? To be deceptive. To lie. And they come here deceptively. And notice what it says here. That they come and, and they're upset. And it said, and they said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. They try to disguise their anger. And they want to use a symbol of faith, which is circumcision, that God gave to Abraham since we are called to be circumcised as God's people, and they're not circumcised. And this is going to be a disgrace to us. This is going to be reproach against us because we're going to give our sister to someone, a family who's not circumcised. The male cutting off of the flesh. And, and they act that they're concerned about the spiritual identification. But they're not concerned about that. And notice what they say there as it continues in verse 15. But on this condition, notice the condition, we will consent to you. If you become as we are, and if every male of you is circumcised. Notice what he says. If you become as we are, and you're circumcised. Circumcision, we know in the New Testament, is just an outward symbol, even in the Old Testament. What do, what, do we, what do we learn later on about circumcision? True circumcision is the circumcision of what? The heart. The cutting off of the flesh in the heart. The callousness of the heart dying to the flesh. And notice what he says. Then we will consent to you on that very condition. Then we will give, verse 16, our daughters to you. And we will take your daughters to us. We will dwell with you and we will become one with people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be God. Notice the condition that they said, if you don't listen to us, if you don't agree to all be circumcised as males, then we'll take Dinah, our sister, and we'll be God. But only upon this will we accept your offer on this one condition, that you were outwardly become spiritually identified to God like we are. But notice what happens here in verse 18. And their words, please, Hammer and Shechem, Hammer's sons. They wasted no time. They said, this is our opportunity. They agreed. They said, this sounds like a good deal. So the young man did not delay. Think about this, how, how obsessed he was over this. He says that he didn't delay. He didn't waste any time to do this thing. Because he delighted in Jacob's daughter, he was more honorable than all the household of his father. So he was a well-respected man. And without delay, without wasting time, he wanted her desperately. 
So what does he do there in verse 20? And Hamer and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of the city, saying, to the elders of the city, saying, they were going to talk to him regarding the proposal. They said, these men are at peace with us. Notice how they frame it. Therefore, let them dwell in the sand and trade in it, for indeed, the land is large enough for them and for us. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. They think they're about to compromise. Meet in the middle. Meet that condition. And notice what's happening. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us is circumcised as they're circumcised. Just think about what they thought. What in the world are you asking us to do? Could you not find another girl around here? But you know what they think here the motivation for all of them is? The motivation for the entire people of that land to agree to these terms is that in the long term, they would win these people over and they knew they were wealthy. We can absorb them as a people into our community. And you know what that family has? Wealth. We want to take what God has given them. So let's make a compromise. The enemy wants to always come and compromise with the believer to rob you of your spiritual wealth, your riches in Christ. Verse 24, And all who went out at the city gate of this city heated hammer and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised. All who went out of the city gate of this city. Notice, everyone went and heated and listened and did as here Shechem and Hamar had instructed them. They went through this painful operation. And notice what happens here for the male that had gone through this circumcision. They were incapacitated. Extremely painful situation. You can imagine. But it's interesting here, even as we look at these verses, that they thought that this outward ritual would make them right and make them as the family of Jacob, like the nation of Israel. I want you to know something. No matter how much you try outwardly, rituals do not make you right. That was just a ritual. That doesn't qualify you that now all of a sudden you're right with God. And notice what even these men thought. Notice, I'm right with God now. I've done all the outward signs. Notice that. The outward signs to say I'm just like them. So notice, she should marry me. You have to be very discerning when you're maybe going into a business venture, maybe going into a relationship that people are not just doing outward works to impress you, to make you believe that they're truly walking with the Lord when it just outward works to try to win you over. This was just something that was outward. And maybe they're just doing all the things outwardly to win you over, to gain that relationship. But an outward ritual is not truly an inward transformation. That's not a real sign that now you're right with God. They could have been doing it and they were doing it for all of the wrong reasons. That's what we have to pray. That's what we have to weigh. That's what we have to discern. Lord, I don't just want to look on the outside. Would you show me what's on the inside? And notice here the vengeance that takes place in verse 25. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in, the, when they were in pain. 
Just think about how much pain this would have caused. You know, women, you can ask your husbands. And the third day when they were in pain and two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. They waited. They said, we have a plan. Now that they're incapacitated, now that they're weak, now that they're sore, now that they need to wait for healing, notice they come in and two guys, they kill all the males in the city. Recklessness. And notice as it continues there, and they killed Hamar and Shechem, his son, verse 26, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They said, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to answer. This is now Jacob not having a spiritual home. This is the flesh working, failing, committing sin, and then responding in the flesh again, trying to fix it. We can't fix in the flesh what we already ruined by the flesh. We need to repent. And they took their sheep, their oxen, notice their donkeys, what was in the city, what was in the field, and all their wealth, all the little ones, their wives, they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Notice all the way up to verse 29. What do they do? They take vengeance thinking that this is the way to make things better. Notice, other people's sins never justify your personal disobedience. And I want you to remember that tonight. Other people's sins never justify your personal disobedience. You can't say, because they did that, now I can respond, I can retaliate, I can do this instead. Now, if you're submitted to the Holy Spirit, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what the Bible says in Ephesians 4? Be angry, but don't sin. Do not sin. Where did this come from? This, was, this came from Jacob's poor example of disobedience that contributed to his children's spirit of rebellion. J Jacob cannot be surprised here. Jacob should not be shocked here. Notice, he put himself and his family in the wrong place now. And if you put your, your, your family, if you put your children, notice as you read this chapter, in a pagan environment, notice what happens there. Then don't be surprised when they act like pagan people. You put them in that environment, and people are usually the product of the environment that they're in. So what happens? They respond that way. Now notice what Jacob does when he finds out. In verse 30, then Jacob said to Simeon, Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. Notice what he says. He's upset now. You've ruined me, he tells his kids. Yes, they ruined his testimony, but he had ruined his testimony already. <laughs> he had no godly testimony at home. In fact, he said, you made me obnoxious. Before the people of the land, you, you made me lose total respect. You ruined my reputation now. I can't believe you've done that as my children. Do you see here that he's more worried about his personal reputation than the holiness of his family? He failed here. He missed the mark as a leader, and now he's worried about his reputation. 
I think it's important even as fathers, as leaders of homes, that we don't get upset at our children because they're not a right reflection of what, they, of what we think they should be when we never invested in them. You can't blame your children when you have invested in them spiritually. And notice what he's doing there. He failed at home and now he's complaining about the outcome. You know whose fault it is? It's his own fault. It's not anybody's fault. He, he's in desperate need of revival. His soul now, it, it needs that fresh word of God right here. And what does he do? He complains about his children. He says here, among the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and since I'm few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. What is he? Fearful now. Because compromise always leads to one thing. Not only guilt, not only shame. Notice the number three, fear. That's what happens when you compromise. Not only guilt, not only shame, but also fear. And notice he's fearful now of the enemy. You notice how they respond here? In verse 31, his sons, but they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? You think they should treat our sister like a prostitute? They, they respond in anger. But they brought more dishonor to their family. Dishonor upon dishonor now. Now think about this. What good is it to build an altar before pagan people? What good is it to build an altar before the world if your children are going to act like the world? Here he is building an altar before the world. Outwardly, the altar looks so good from Jacob. But his children are rebellious. You know what's awesome as you continue reading in Genesis, and we will continue reading in Genesis, that God is still true to his promise. God will still keep his promises with Jacob. He uses and he chooses imperfect people. What did he promise him in Genesis 28, 15? What's more, that I am with you, I'll protect you wherever you go. Notice that. And one day I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've finished giving you everything I have promised. God is still not finished with Jacob. Yes, there was more heartaches. Yes, there was more joys to come. But the God of Jacob would prove himself to be faithful to it all. What did he tell him? I want you to come back to Bethel, though. Remember my promises. Remember my provision. Remember my purpose. Nothing has changed. God is still gracious. He's long-suffering. How about this? God is so patient with us even after we failed. Get back to Bethel. Come back to the heart of worship. Come back to the place where you're leading your family to the Lord. Like Joshua, in Joshua 24, 15, what did he say? You know what, you choose this day who you're gonna serve, but as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. That's the answer, that's the response. You know what happens in God's grace? Verse one of chapter 35, let's just read that first verse. Then God said to Jacob, even after this failure, notice how patient God is. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. One more time. Let's try this again, Jacob. <laughs> what is it going to take for you to listen? I want to ask you today, what is it going to take for you to listen to God's voice? For you to listen to what God is saying, because then again, God is so patient. He says, okay, Jacob, let's try this one more time. Get up and go back to the place of Bethel. 
Go back to the place of promise. Go back to the place of surrender. Go back to the place of submission. The very place where we all need to be today. Where we say, Lord, I don't want to struggle. I don't want to fight. I don't want to resist. I want your way, not my way. Your way is much better than my way. I want to be content in your will for my life. God's will is a beautiful thing. I want you to know that. Sometimes we're scared of God's will. We think it's a bad thing for our lives. We think it's a painful thing for our lives. Yes, it will require dying to self, but God's will is God's purpose and plan for your life. It's better to be in his will than anywhere else. And today we want to say, Lord, we want to come back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. Let's pray.